Good morning, Grace. It is so good to be back with you all again. Some of you are like, wait, again? When was the first time? Uh, it's been a decade, okay? So um, don't know if that means I was that bad the first time. Yes, I might not see it again in a decade. We'll see, but it uh, could be a harbinger of things to come. But still feels like home, even after 10 years. Uh, I'm a Newton guy, uh, grew up here. My parents still live here, but uh, more than that, I'm a Grace Church guy. Uh, I first came to Grace in youth group. Kevin Wilder was the youth pastor then. Uh, I can distinctly remember my first night just right over here. He had set up a giant blue tarp in one of the classrooms. He had put a large clear plastic tube in the center of that tarp. He brought two volunteers forward, cracked an egg, put the yolk inside the tube, asked the volunteers on either side of the tube to blow on the tube. And you can imagine whoever didn't keep blowing got the egg, right? I mean, that's how that game worked. So um, one of the guys I remember, he, they got to, to ready to go, and he starts to blow, and then he just points the tube at the other person. They just blow the egg right on themselves. So that was a good strategy. Um, but uh, he was late 90s. You know, E. coli wasn't invented. It was fine. You're like, we cannot do that again. No, you cannot. Okay. But... Uh, Grace Community changed my life, played guitar here with Adam Utech, later Andy Foreman, uh, Pastor Steve counseled my wife and I before we got married, uh, Alan and Debbie Graber led our small group, uh, probably kept my wife and I married in that time, you know, um, obviously Pastor Dave had the vision for church planting, he allowed me to recruit people from this church to launch our church in Park City. And so it's always good to come back and see uh, everything the, that Grace is continuing to do, the amazing things that you all do. I want you all to know that this church is not normal. You, you guys are doing fantastic things all across the world, not just in the area. And furthermore, can I just tell you that through our synergy network of churches that Grace helped launch, I've really developed a friendship with Jack. Uh, I love hanging out with him. He's a fantastic friend, a better guy. Um, you probably didn't know this about Jack, but uh, Jack's actually very political. I know you're not supposed to talk about politics from the pulpit, but uh, my undergraduate degree is in history and political science. And Jack knows that. We occasionally go out to lunch, and one day he asked me, uh, what are your thoughts on free speech? And I was like, First Amendment, great. I love free speech. And he was like, well, how would you like to come give one? And I said, that's, <laughs> yes, Okay. You got me, Jack. Right? I mean, those are his dad jokes. He, he, he does those, but uh, he got me good. So uh, actually, we just swapped churches this week. He's at my place. Uh, it was all planned. Uh, he'll be back next week if you're a guest. So if anything I say is her heretical, he'll correct all of that uh, then. But he told me I could just preach the Bible. So y'all right with that? Uh, go ahead and grab the Bible. You can meet me in 1 Timothy um, if you're new to the whole Bible thing, open it up towards the back, look for some guys' names, find the T's. Uh, Timothy is going to be nestled between Titus, Thessalonians. If you didn't bring a Bible, we're still in 1 Timothy, but it'll be on the screens. You need the big number four. Y'all find it? We can wait, I mean, if, if you need more time. but uh, Verse 7, y'all ready? Here we go. It reads, Have nothing to do 
with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Drop down to verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. That is your life and doctrine. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we get together to study it. God, I know that people are here to hear from you. You have brought them unto yourself. Send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Give us attentive minds and spirits um, ready to learn. Help each person walk out of here with one next step of something that they can do to help them to be more like your son, Jesus. Transform us. We ask all this in the power of Jesus. Amen. So a few years ago, a friend of mine was working at Best Buy as a corporate manager. In God's infinite wisdom, he had given that man that specific job shortly before we launched a new anthem church. And then God brought him two new anthems so that we could become friends. As friends, he could then give me inside information about the highly anticipated release of the Nintendo Classic. This is probably a gross misrepresentation of God's sovereignty, okay, so I apologize, but God knew after 1989, when I first laid hands on that magic gray controller, sitting at Justin Cater's trailer house, not far from here, God knew for the first time when I rescued a princess and shot a duck for the very first time. And then the dog, because it laughed at me, you know what I'm saying? And for the very first time, God knew after I sprinted on that mat pad to run track, and he knew that I would need to give my kids the thrill of up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start. Come on, somebody, extra lives, cheat code. God knew that my kids would need to experience the same thrill that I had. He knew in order for my life to once again have meaning and purpose and value, I would need to have eight bits of blessing on a big screen. So he gave a corporate manager a job at Best Buy and strategically put him in place. And this man called me one night to say, the Nintendo Classic is releasing tomorrow. We just got a shipment in. I don't know how many other people know about this, so you're going to have to get here early. But if you get here early enough, you might stand in line, but you can get yourself a Nintendo. So I did what any reasonable, rational, sane human being would do. And I didn't tell my wife, you know, uh, set the alarm for 4 a.m., got up and drove to Best Buy and stood in line. That is to say, I had good intel, but I still had to act. I had information, but I still had to respond. Push the example a little further, because once the Nintendo was in my possession, I had to remember how to play. I had to remember which 
exact blue blocks to break in order to get on the top of the screen to run over into the tubes, right? And I had to remember exactly which specific white ledge to stand on in order to push down to get behind the screen, in order to get to the whistle, to warp to the next world. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, which is totally fine. But I had to hop on YouTube and watch some walkthroughs in order to do that. Now, here's my point. I could watch what they did, but I still had to do what they'd done to beat it myself, right? So here's what I'm trying to push us towards, which you already know this is true. But that is information and taking action are two wildly different things. It's why the Bible uses language like faith and works, knowing and doing. It's why Jesus tells stories about those who will believe my words will put them into practice. And it's why Paul told his protege, Timothy, to train, labor, strive, persevere. Here's how you can write it down if you're taking notes. This is what I want to spend our time on. God's gift to his people is grace. Our response to this gift is grit. It's perseverance laboring, striving. Look at verse 10. The text says, that is why we labor and strive. Why? Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. So what is our motivation for perseverance? Well, it's our hope in Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Live the perfect life so we wouldn't have to. The Savior of all people. We call that grace, which is why we labor and strive. See, it's a never-ending loop of grace and grit over and over. We're freely forgiven, so now we faithfully follow. Like grace is God opening the door. Grit is you walking through it. You following me? Grace is you getting the job, the promotion, the raise. Grit is you keeping up with it. Grace is them saying, I do. Grit is you staying married. Grace is you having the freedom and opportunity to go to school. Grit is you getting the A, the degree. The Bible says whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and not man. Even still, people will want to say, well, if God would have meant for this to happen, then it would have happened. Maybe. Um, I mean, yes and amen to God's sovereignty, but God will not give you what he's gifted you to build. You got to put in the work. I guess let me say it this way. You got to work your wants. Passion, obsession, even talent, those are only useful if you have the work ethic to sustain it. I tell my son all the time, you can't have million dollar dreams and a hundred dollar work ethic. But our culture has become so addicted to the quick fix, life hack, that simple algorithm that will net you the maximum amount of profit with the least amount of work. Yet that's the opposite of what Paul is talking about. That's not a grace loop. That's a laziness loop. That's self-indulgence. Y'all realize that's just what laziness is, right? Self-indulgence. It's not restorative like a Sabbath. It's thoughtless. That's why you never feel better after binging Netflix when you know you should have been working, okay? So Paul comes along, 
And prior to our text, he's killing Christians, persecuting the way. Acts 9, Jesus shows up, kicks him off his horse, blinds him with a bright light, miraculously saves him grace. Paul's response, he gets to work, planting churches all over the Mediterranean, grit. One of the most influential churches that he started is in a town called Ephesus, which, listen, church history records that the Apostle John, the only disciple to not be horrifically murdered, they tried, okay, they put him in a vat of boiling oil, he didn't die, it freaked everybody out, they're like, send this dude to an island, but um, church history believes that the Apostle John went to church in Ephesus, Uh, Mary the mother of Jesus, went to this church, lived with John, went to church in Ephesus. Think about that. I mean, I have enough pressure trying to get my sermon right. And New Anthem, when my mom's sitting in the crowd, can you imagine Jesus' mom sitting there like, well, that probably didn't happen like that. But um, Paul plants this church in Ephesus and leaves young Timothy in charge. And then he writes him a series of letters to help him and his people to encourage them. You can see that in this effort to encourage this church, he uses the word train, verse 7. Don't get caught up in myths. Rather, train yourself. Gymnazo yourself. That's the Greek word. It's where we get the English word gymnasium. For some of you, it's time to get out of the myths, the Twitter myths, and take seriously this idea of training. Why? Why get my spiritual sweat on? Because God promised His Word would not return void. He didn't promise the return would be immediate. Some of you are missing out on blessings in this life because you're looking for the instant. That's not how it works. You ever lifted weights before? You got to get sore before you get swole right? You got to have those days where you can't even get out of bed in the morning because you like your hamstrings are so tight. It feels like it's going to rip off your body. You can't even sit down at all. Most people don't view following Jesus like that through the lenses of training and hard work. We don't think about discipleship being a discipline. Same root word. We want it to be easy though. We're forgiven, so things should be simple, right? Not according to Paul. I mean, even when Paul gets saved, what's God say? I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's not what I want. I don't know about you. I don't want to suffer for God's name's sake. I would rather have it be like Jesus, have God's glory transform me on a mountain. Except, listen, Jesus is the only person in the Bible who got transfigured. Okay? But even him, he had to work at it. Even Jesus had to get away and pray. Even Jesus needed ministered to. You guys remember that passage? He's in the desert fasting and praying, being tempted. The end of 40 days, the text says that the angels were ministering to Jesus. So what's our excuse? I don't know. I have a theory. Uh, It's called the law of diminishing returns. Maybe you've heard of it. In its simplest form, it means that more effort yields less results. Now, that's the opposite of how many of us think life should work. If you put in the effort, you should see a better return. At minimum, you should see 
the same return. However, in many cases, the energy that it took doesn't pay off how you thought it would. I'll give you an example. If you went through the effort of learning how to run efficiently and you could increase your speed from three miles per hour to four miles per hour, your pace would go from a 20 minutes per mile to 15 minutes per mile, which that's massive progress. You just cut five minutes off your mile time and all you did was run one mile per hour faster. If, however, you really get after it and you put in the hours of strength training and muscle stretching and nutrition monitoring and you improve from nine miles per hour to 10 miles per hour, you don't cut five minutes off your mile time. You cut 40 seconds. So your rate of improvement has dropped by more than 80%. That's the law of diminishing return. Ton of input, not much return. To that point, roll this out into your spiritual life. Maybe you started the year off how we start every year at New Anthem with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you did that and you saw uh, God really move. Or maybe you've just recently started tithing for the very first time. And you have just as much quality of life now as you did before. Maybe you've gotten into a group here and uh, you've made some awesome friends. Maybe you've started serving in one of the ministry areas. You feel like you're really making a difference because you are. However, you should know at some point those gains aren't going to be as big and you're going to think to yourself, things are not going well. And you're going to point to the shrinking levels of success as evidence, but that's not evidence. Those are feelings. And in this case, you shouldn't completely trust your feelings. In this case, what feels right and what is right are two wildly different things. That is to say, it's better to use facts than it is feelings. So listen, what needs to happen in those moments of spiritual doubt is you need to look at the data And the data says you added a whole seven minutes or seven miles per hour to your speed. You started at a three. Now you're at a 10. Don't forget where you started. See, the lie we're all prone to believe is if it's not perfect and if it's not going to match my expectations and if uh, if I don't have immediate satisfaction, then it's not worth it. Even in the first century. That's why Paul comes along and says, no, 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 labor strive, train, persevere. Because look, there's another universal principle at work. It's called the law of compounding interest. And it shows that small returns over time often go unnoticed, but they can yield extraordinary results. I'll give you an example. If I would take this sheet of paper and fold it in half on itself over And over again, uh, the most I've ever been able to get is six folds. Uh, Mythbusters actually did this, and they were able to fold their paper 11 times. But their paper was the size of a football field, and they had a forklift and steamroller to help fold and everything. So a little bit of an unfair advantage. But uh, if I could fold this over and over again, by the time I got to 23 folds, my stack of pages would be over a half a mile thick. 
30 folds, you're in outer space. 42 folds to the moon. 51, our stack of paper is now in fuego because it has reached the sun. And listen to this, if you could somehow hit 103 folds, this stack that started as a single sheet of paper would measure 93 billion light years in depth, stretching across the known boundaries of the universe. That's compounding interest. A little, a little, a little. This is why you can't trust your feelings. You might be on the edge, the precipice of hitting that 23rd fold. you got to think to yourself, no, today's the day. I'm going to get 1% closer to Jesus. 1% is still 1%. Look at how far you've come. Listen, God didn't bring you this far to watch you quit now. Y'all say amen at this church? That'd be a good time right then, okay? So, train, labor, strive, persevere, all different words in the Greek. As a former basketball guy, I love this because they're all words rooted in competition. You might be interested to know the word strive is where we get our word agonize. Y'all ever been there before? You ever had to agonize your way through life? You ever had to wrestle through forgiving somebody? You ever had to strain your way through marriage? You ever had to excruciate yourself through bills? You ever had to struggle through a diagnosis? You ever had to rack your brain with what to do next? Like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just need a little help. Lead me Guide me, give me something, tell me where to go, God. And it's like, nothing, agony. That's why Paul has to remind us, endure, keep going. Because perseverance in the silence isn't natural. Even the most hardened, disciplined, and controlled individual There are days when they don't want to train. There are days they want to give in to grace. Like, what's one day? God will understand. That's kind of the point of grace. Listen, I know we're church, but let's take God out of the equation for a second. When you think about this idea of perseverance, you know uh, who's, who's never let me down? You know who's never broke my heart? You know who's always been there for me in the midnight hour when I could count on nobody else? I could always count on my friend, carbohydrate. Come on, somebody. You know, (laughs) brownies are my best friend when I I hate what they do to me, you know, love what they do for me. But um, this is why four times in five verses Paul has to use hang in their language. Because it's easy to get off course. It's easy to trust our feelings. It's easy to forget the facts. But the facts are, I'm not a failure. I'm not a disappointment. I might have surprised my parents. I didn't surprise God. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. I can do all things because God gives me strength. If God is for me, who can be against me? I have to have both grace and grit. I got a promise in this life and the life to come. 
verse 8. This is what Kyle was talking about, singing about. Let me show you another text. Maybe this will help you. This is Hebrews 10. You don't have to find it. We'll put it on the screen. Arguably Paul who wrote it. Maybe not. Regardless, the author says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, that's grace, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, that's grit, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I just had a kid maul another kid at my house this week, like some kind of cannibal grizzly bear over a Reese's cup. And we're talking about confiscation, joyfully accepting of our property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You need to persevere, our word again, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Okay, so a couple of helpful things regarding our ability to develop perseverance, or the word I chose, grit. First of all, don't be surprised by the suffering. Like, don't be shocked when things don't go right. Sometimes I look around at the world, I'm like, well, why are things so easy for that guy? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, God, I'm on your team here. Can't you just do what you've done before? I'm not asking to walk on water. But then we read a text like this, and the author says, no, remember those hard times. Joyfully accept the hard times. There's actually an advantage to being disadvantaged. You discovered this yet? Advantaged people don't know how to fight. Advantaged people haven't been trained on how to persevere, so when they get into trouble, they panic. If the economy fails, they freak out. And if their relationship is in trouble, they bail. If they got a hard decision to make, they're anxious. You know, if they blow out their shoulder snowboarding, they get scared. Okay, that's what this is all about. Okay, ask for a white one to match my shoes. Okay, so it's accessorizing. That's what they call that. But uh, people think that prosperity is everything because they've always been ahead. But when you've been disadvantaged, when you've been broke, when you've been down and out, then all of a sudden you know how to work with what you got. See, that's actually God's grace giving you an opportunity for some grit. You're learning how to fight. I mean, I thank God that I grew up with a little bit of struggle. I thank God that I grew up a little bit poor. My kids have no idea what it's like to eat cereal without milk, you know? They have no idea. We get, we get cereal in boxes at my house. When I was a kid, it came in a bag, you know? We couldn't even get it. Some of y'all don't know the struggle that is a Hydrox cookie, okay? Sounds like something you'd put on an open wound. I know, it tastes about the same too. And we didn't get Oreos in my place. I'm glad I had to have a little struggle because now I know how to survive, see? Disadvantaged people fight different. Disadvantaged people have a toughness that is born out of their affliction. So much so that the Bible said it was good for me that I was oppressed. If I hadn't been afflicted, I would have never seen God come through. 
If God always meets your expectations, he can never exceed them, can he? So it takes a little grace and a little grit. In other words, you've got to change how you see adversity. Adversity is just grace in disguise. There's something that you've got to get from the struggle that prepares you to survive the uh, wrestle that is life. If you're going to see a breakthrough in the systems and strongholds that are in this world today, then you have to be relentless, tenacious, work. You can't just sit back and hope that things will happen for you. From grace to grit. I told you I was a history major, and I love uh, history of World War II, my favorite class at Wichita State, but I like that Winston Churchill said, if you're, gonna, if you're going through hell, just keep going. Come on, somebody, that's good stuff right there. The law of compounding interest. I'm just going to take another step and another step. The theologian Dory said, just keep swimming, you know. Okay, so that's what we're doing. I'm hardening my mind for when things really get tough, okay? So we got to change our mind, how we see adversity. That's step one. I don't got to, I get to. Thank God this was difficult. So what uh, 34 says, we can joyfully accept this, okay? But then did you catch verse 33? At other times... You stood side by side with those who were so treated. And you suffered along with those in prison. That is to say, we're in this fight together. Going back to our first Timothy passage, it's why Paul says that when you persevere in life, you save both yourself and your hearers. Make no mistake, you got hearers. You've got people looking at your life. You've got people that you're influencing. They want to know how you're going to respond in those times of trouble. Make no mistake, this text isn't just for preachers. This is for all people. And people in the world need to see that Christians don't fight alone. I seriously think God hates that his church has become so divisive. I think that God abhors some of American evangelicalism. Now listen, is doctrine important? Of course it is. That's why Paul said to watch your life and doctrine closely. But I also know that division frequently shields us from the inconvenience of change. It's why Paul followed up watch your doctrine closely with persevere in them. Because grace takes grit. So let me try and wrap everything up for us like this. Where are you on the grit spectrum? Do you give up easily? Do you never give up? You're somewhere in there. No matter where you're at, can I give you just one thing real fast, regardless of where you're at, something simple that you can do this week to move you down the line, transform you just a little bit? I would encourage you, to start subjecting yourself to self-induced trials. Like give yourself opportunities for perseverance. Maybe it's something easy for you. Maybe you're addicted to your phone. And what you need to do is put it on do not disturb every single night. Maybe you need to shut off the TV and you're going to persevere through the pages of a book. Maybe you need to do something physical. Paul said physical training is of some value, so maybe you should do something easy. Go for a walk to the mailbox and back, okay? 
I don't know what it is for you. We all start somewhere. Okay, I know that. Um, I started recently running ultra marathons. Okay, so any distance above a marathon is an ultra marathon. And listen, I hate running. I didn't do it because I like running. I did it because I wanted to start training my mind. And you know what I discovered uh, on running 50 miles? You know how much easier it is to grind through life when you've gone through the discipline of getting up in the morning and running 30 miles in a day? Come on, Mark. Amen, somebody, right? You know? You know how much easier it is uh, to go through something difficult when you've fasted from food for 10 days? You see what I'm saying? Here's what I can tell you with complete impunity. You are not going to drift into godliness. You are not going to drift into good decisions. You have to be intentional. You have to train for trials that you aren't in yet so that when they come, you're prepared. I'll say it this way, and then I'm done. Outwork your self-doubt. You won't second-guess anything when you have a stack of evidence that proves you are who you say you are, which is a child of God. And you know what that leads to? Joy, even in the hard things. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. You remember where Jesus was the night before? Begging God, pleading with him to let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. He knew the pain and suffering involved, but he also knew what he came to do. And Jesus knew that you were worth it. So he persevered his self-doubt, turned grace into grit, into grace. And you can too. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you so much for this time that we've got to come together and study your word. God, I don't know how people have come into this room today. I know that you've drawn them in to hear something pray that it was an encouragement. But I also know that there are people in this room struggling, struggling through marriage or bills or diagnoses, maybe just struggling with some kind of faith. So I'm just asking that you send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way in this situation. As we spend a few moments here reflecting as the band leads us in a song, can we just spend a few moments focused on you, how you're going to bring us through, what we can do, what our next step of faith can be. Some of you, you might have been in church your whole life. You've yet to really take that next step of faith into this free gift of salvation called grace. Kyle said you earn death by saying the wages of sin is death, but God lived a perfect life so you don't have to. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that you took that penalty for us, but you rose from the dead, that you beat death, and we can too. Thank you for new life. Jesus, help us in these...
coming days, whatever trials may come, whatever trials people are in, help us persevere. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.